Welcome to A Learner's Journey. My name is Molly Sanders, and the goal of this podcast is to inspire and motivate you by connecting you with a variety of passionate horsewomen and men who have dedicated their lives to helping horses and their people. I'm grateful you're here. I'm excited that you've joined in to listen to this interview with John. John Barr is a lifelong student of the horse. He's a horse development specialist that travels the country teaching students natural horsemanship, and he's one of my favorite humans. In this interview, you'll get to hear about how it all started for John, how he's learned that slowing down is often the fastest path to progress, and you'll get a little glimpse into what life is like at Raising the Bar Center in Lexington, Kentucky, where he lives with his wife, Kathy, and their son, Luke, and they all develop horses and welcome students. It's a fun and enlightening conversation, and stay tuned till the end, where we're joined by a very special guest. Good morning, John. Hey, Molly. How are you doing? Good. It's awesome to have you on the podcast. Great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really glad you decided to do this. Um, And I was trying to figure out the other day, like how long we've known each other. And I think it's been, it's been at least 10 years, maybe 15. Um, and I realized that, uh, I don't, I don't know a lot about how you got started with horses. So that's my first question. Like, how did you get into horses? Um, it's actually interesting because I didn't grow up around horses. I grew up in a little town in Colorado, right outside of Rocky Mountain National Park. And so uh, horses weren't, we really couldn't have horses there. We lived uh, really close to a, really close to the national park. And, you know, so we had about a two acre lot there and uh, we couldn't have horses on it. Uh, So I grew up mostly not having them, but ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a cowboy. So growing up, you know, there's pictures of me as I was two, three years old with a cowboy hat and boots and that sort of thing. So that image, I guess, kind of stayed through all the way with me. Um, it wasn't until after high school that I started getting interested into horses. Um, and my, my initial part with horses, you know, growing up around Rocky Mountain National Park, there was a lot of dude string horses. So people would come in, you know, from all over and they would sit on a horse and you went on this trail ride, do, 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 you know, so it wasn't very exciting. Right. You go, this is easy. Into more and more of the cowboy aspect of it, roping and cows and that sort of thing. And, uh, So it wasn't until probably four or five years after high school that I got my first horse and, uh, well, things started happening from there. That's awesome. And was your first horse, because I think one of the things that I find interesting is some people, their first introduction to horses is the the trail ride or the, you know, the dude string, the paid experience. And they think, well, this is easy. I'll get one of these, right? (laughs) So was your first horse, was it? Uh, was it an easy horse to have or was it challenging? Well, uh, so here's the interesting thing. I, I feel uh, I kind of I met this nice elderly lady that was breeding horses and she was doing it as uh, kind of a, a remembrance of her husband because her husband had passed away. And so she had built this farm where she was breeding, I don't know, maybe 70, 80 brood mares, and she had three stallions. And she was probably in her late 70s, really couldn't walk much, drove around on a golf cart, and she had nobody working for her. Oh, my gosh. So somehow, some way, people would kind of come out, volunteer, and help her out to feed and help her breed these horses. She had a vet come out and 
uh, you know, in 70, 80 broodmares, that was a lot of horses. That's and huge. so pretty soon I got myself more and more involved. And she, she offered me this horse that uh, was beautiful, nice, big bay horse. And, uh, and she had really good bloodlines as I started researching, you know, and thinking, gosh, you know, this lady really, you know, she's really thinking nice of me, you know, gave me a great price on it. And I thought, wow, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm in it, you know, and uh, till I went to take that horse home. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I'll show you how much ignorance I had back before anything else. Um, I saw that uh, I had borrowed a horse trailer and I had a horse and I had a trailer. And four and a half hours later, I was, you know, just I could not believe that I could not get this horse in a horse trailer. <laughs> yeah. You know, just just totally did not understand why an animal did not understanding prey, predator, none of that. You know, it's just tug and pull. And why aren't you going in? You know, this right. trailer's made for you. Right. I mean, right. Uh, so I realized that the, that uh, nice little old lady was maybe not so nice to me in the fact that she knew what she was telling me when I got the horse home finally. I remember uh, having trouble with the horse. You know, I had the farrier come out and of course she was really misbehaved for the farrier. And he was telling me all the stuff, you've got to get this horse better. or You know, I can't come back out here and those kinds of things. And again, it was one of those things that it was just like, wow, why, why would she be misbehaving? You know, right. did I just buy a jerk horse or what, you know? Right. <laughs> and uh, she, the, one of the things that did sell me on the horse was that she did say that she had it professionally trained. So I thought, oh, great, you know, great, great investment. Now I was going to breed her anyway mm -hmm. and have other horses and that sort of thing. So I, uh, I remember riding her getting while well, she's been professionally trained. So I got a new saddle and all that. And I remember riding her out. And then, you know, those times where you, uh, you wake up in bed in the morning and you're kind of half awake, half not, you're dreaming. Mm -hmm. I remember doing that and thinking, oh, you know, gosh, I got a horse now. I'm going to go out and ride it. And yeah, that's what I'm going to do today. Right. And when I opened my eyes, I realized I was out in the middle of a field and I had no idea how I got out there, where I was. I remember looking around going, what am I? I thought I was waking up in bed. Oh, my gosh. In the middle of a field. And she's over there in the other corner of the pasture grazing and, uh, you know, getting up and I'm stiff. And, you know, I just bought a brand new cowboy hat, straw hat, and the back of it was just smashed to pieces. and. I got up and uh, <clears throat> just, it took me a while to remember everything about it. And so wow. it was kind of from that spot on that I realized, you know, along with the not getting them in a trailer and the farrier that I just didn't know anything about horses. Right. And I guess what kind of took me on the journey was if I was going to be a cowboy, I needed to know about horses. Right. It wasn't going to be as easy as the movies and all that sort of thing. And it was kind of that point that that was the tipping point for me that, uh, I kind of made the decision I wanted to be good with horses. That's really cool. And you needed to get a new hat. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, so I did. you then, um, you know, probably as I know of you, you're fairly competitive and you're really dedicated to being great at what you do. So you probably dove in. And, uh, and then when along the way did you start thinking, hmm, maybe I want to become an instructor? Yeah. Uh, well, from there, I started researching how how could I be good? Like what, what do good people do with horses? You know, and I, I picked up on a few of the events and that sort of thing. And, you know, when I was competitive, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like, you know, being good with horses was kind of a broad 
spectrum. You know, I didn't necessarily want to go to be a rainer yet or, you know, a, a cutter or any of those kind of disciplines yet. So I had actually come across in a Western Horseman magazine, uh, Pat's program. And at that time it was VHS tapes. <laughs> and it was handy because my parents at the time owned a video store. So we were very involved with videos and VHS for everybody that remembers those. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I had bought a seven games VHS, VHS tape. Uh-huh. And I was amazed. You know, I was kind of skeptical, like, okay, can you really watch something from tape and learn? Right. But I was actually amazed at how much I was picking up and how much she was getting better. And I was learning how to uh, be with a horse, you know, and, uh, from there, it, it kind of snowballed. And that's about the same time uh, the Pirelli program, Pat Linder, were releasing their levels, their first levels program ever, mm-hmm. early 2000s. And uh, I had picked up on that and loved that. And I was, you know, I was a whole homeschool kind of a, an idea. You know, I was doing really good with that and really enjoyed it. And I had gone, I hadn't taken any clinics or lessons at that time. It was mm-hmm. strictly all homeschool. And then I, I heard of a big five-star Dave Ellis coming out. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was going to be about two hours away from me. So I, I uh, went out there with my dad and I remember seeing Dave Ellis out there and there was about maybe 20 or 25 people riding in there. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a very distinct moment again, kind of like when I had decided that I wanted to be good with horses is that I walked in there and I saw all those riders with Dave Ellis. And I saw what Dave was doing and I went, wow, I want to be a five-star. I want to be that. And uh, from there, it, that's when I wanted to be an instructor and everything else was just uh, focused on that, you know, and I, the, the main thing that got me interested in that whole system. And so I guess dedicated and, and passionate about it was, it wasn't just, you know, I could watch the tape with Pat and that obviously he was good with horses, right. And all of his students at that time, you could see a lot of the, the students, but that he could teach somebody to be that good, that they could teach somebody else to be that good. Right. And so that, that whole thing kind of just was a natural interest to me or a phenomenon that you could you could teach something that you could pass along to be that good to you know the train the trainer idea yeah so I think along those really is what got me interested in instructing I wanted to be it was kind of that next level of being good for me was could I be good enough to help someone else not just myself but help someone else and then later on that evolved to could I be good enough to be help somebody to be good enough to help somebody you know right that that's kind of what started me on my journey there that's really cool. Um, I didn't know that about Dave Ellis being the the one that kind of got you going. I want to I want to do that. That's really cool. And you know, it's funny because it probably wasn't till I bet you it was ten years later. Like I never took a lesson from Dave. I just mm-hmm. audited that clinic. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think maybe I'd introduced myself, but I wasn't nothing then. You know, and right. uh, and I from there he he didn't come back in the area for a while, or at least not that I saw when I was in timing. But you know, I probably didn't take a lesson from him or anything until much much later on. So mm-hmm. it was interesting that uh, yeah. that he inspired me. But I, I didn't even uh, he didn't even see me with a horse or anything like that. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so along the way, I mean, I think that it's it's going to be interesting for people to hear this, and you know, especially people that know you um, to hear you know how it all started because you're now at a place that you know, students watch you and it's like, oh man, it came so easy or, you know, he has it, it, everything is so easy for him. Right. (laughs) But uh, if they only knew. uh, (laughs) So I, I'm really curious to hear about, um, you know, along the way, I'm sure, well, you've already told us some of the challenges with your first horse, but, you know, as you've got this huge aspiration of, you know, reaching a level of this person that inspired you, 
And then, you know, reality hits, right? You start mm-hmm. running into the things that don't come easy. Um, can you can you share, is there a story that pops into your head when you think of um, a, a learning struggle? Um, or, you know, can you just share a little bit about what, what was hard and, and then how did you push through? Like, what got you to keep going? Yeah, uh, absolutely. There, um, in the beginning, I, I very much probably like, like most people, it's natural for us is to just be a very, you know, A to B type of thinker, mm-hmm. you know, and not really thinking about individual or horses, unique characteristics or any of those kinds of things. And I had bought, you know, from this mare that I had originally gotten, I realized mm-hmm. that I was taking her far, but like most people, it's still, she was the issue, right? Right. So I had actually bought an easier horse, one that mm-hmm. was already being shown in roping. And that's where I thought I'd want to go is to be a roper. And so I bought a, a finished roping horse. And uh, I, I didn't know at the time what a finished roping horse meant, which later on now I learned that he backs into a box, goes hard to the left, and that's about all you got. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? There was no right circles. There was no trotting. There was no relaxation. There was no anything else. So mm-hmm. he's actually the one that I took through uh, the levels program first. And with him, he was, now I know him to be a little bit more, as we'd say, like a right brain introvert. Like he was mm-hmm. a very nervous, but very obedient, tons of tries, such a great little horse. Mm-hmm. But um, he, uh, I, I remember I was working on some tasks and it was mostly at Liberty. And he was always taking off away from me. Oh, and I was so frustrating, right? Mm-hmm. But I remember that you had to send him on a circle and get a couple laps of canter and then change direction, finally change, and then, you know, go the other way. And I remember he just had a hard time cantering in the round pen. Mm -hmm. And what I realized is that I had the little bugger so darn tight and nervous and worried that he was just getting tighter. And he was kind of like uh, hopping along like a little cartoon character. Like Uh he didn't have this stride at all. He was, you know, he was just more like, why aren't you cantering? What's wrong with you? You (laughs) So I think uh, he taught me a lot about he was so obedient. But, uh, you know, to get a horse just to relax and actually enjoy it was he was definitely the first one that kind of, you know, hit me in the face with that one, you know. Right. Yeah, that's that's, hilarious. you know, as far as it coming easy. Gosh, uh, no, I, I feel like uh, I feel like I'm actually naturally not very talented at all with horses or it doesn't come natural to me at all because I feel like I've I've had to hit every single roadblock things you've ever done wrong like I've done all that and right. continue to do all that. And and so I don't think that, you know, for people that have never really hit those hard uh, bumps, um, I think uh, they're probably, it comes a lot easier to them than it, it does me. You know, I think as far as some of my teachers like Pat, I think I've been Pat's biggest challenge for years. You know, just if I can get this guy to get it, well then, <laughs> you know, I'll watch out world because uh, that, you know, it, it has, it's definitely been a struggle of just hours and hours and hours of, thinking and trying of how else can I do it and that sort of right right and I think it's so I just I think it's so interesting to hear from different people um because like you said some people that it comes easy to um somewhere along the line if you stick with it they're going to hit some bumps too and one of the things that you're really talented with is is being a learner and um and sticking with it and getting through those bumps so that, I mean, you've become someone again, like I said earlier, that I think, you know, I've been with you on the ranch many times with the, all the instructors 
and you're off, you know, riding along and it, it just looks seamless and it's beautiful. And, you know, it's easy to see you and think that, you know, you're one of those people that just didn't have any roadblocks. You got the easy horse, you know, <laughs> you know, all those things. Yeah. Um, but I think as I, as I, well, and as, as I've gotten to know you and, um, and then hearing you today, one of the things that you, you, you must have gotten really good at is getting up again and, and, you know, pushing through and, and, um, learning from those bumps. And is that something that has come naturally to you or is, have you had to work at that? Like, how do you, how do you stay in a learner's frame of mind? Yeah. Um, that part I think has probably come a little bit more natural for me that greediness. I think that there's, there's probably a give up button in me somewhere, but it's pretty deep down. I really haven't found it too many times. Mm -hmm. So I guess for some people that could be a stubborn streak, <laughs> mm -hmm. but uh, well, you know, I've, I've, I've always probably been that way. Once I set my mind to it, you know, one way or the other, I'm going to get it, you know? So if yeah. I can set my mind to a positive of, I want to be good with horses, then, you know, that's really what's driven me the whole time. And still to this day, still what drives me with horses is because I don't compete nearly as much as my wife, Kathy does. Mm -hmm. I don't, uh, you know, I like competitions. I'll go to a few, you know, I like, um, even on my first Pirelli application, I wanted to be, a, a, I put on there that, uh, cause they asked about discipline or what did you want to do with horses? Mm -hmm. And I literally did put on there. I want to be good with horses, English, Western driving, to be able to look at any issue and know how could you solve that? How could you go about that? And so I wanted to learn a little bit about each discipline about, you know, there was nothing about horses I didn't want to learn or know about. So I wasn't right. going to go into one sport or, or discipline or anything like that. And so in having that drive me of being good, uh, you know, there was it, the minute I come up against something that I can't, do or what just fuels that fire even more like, Oh, I came up against something else I can't do, you know? And it, I guess that's part of the, the hunger that uh, I guess I can never get full of. Right. Because, uh, I know there's just so much. And the more you learn, the more you realize there is to learn. Yeah. So it's like, geez, I'm running out of time, you know, right. like, so much to do yet. You know? Right. That's so, that's so cool. Um, so, you know, staying like, it sounds like you stay, the, the goal stays forefront. Like you're like, I want, I want this. And I know that there's going to be hardships. And when there's hardships, I, I, I want to, I want it even more. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so what, what's something that uh, horses have taught you about yourself? <laughs> uh, to, uh, to actually probably slow down. Cause as much as that, that drive and that uh, ambition that I can have, it can also be the detriment of me on some horses, right? You know, that I actually have to slow down, take the time that, you know, the, the saying, you know, if you take the time it takes, it'll take less time. You mm -hmm. know, and that kind of even goes back to the, the story that I was just sharing about you with my first horse through the levels, you know, that's all I needed to do with him was just take a little bit more time, right? You know, a little bit more time, just, just being with him and just letting him go out there and find some comfort in those circles. You know, right. but I was taking, I was taking a lot more time. In fact, that I was putting more hours in there, you know, I was doing that kind of time, right. But uh, it was time doing not just time being, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely. And, and even to this day for different horses that we get in, 
for development or whatnot, uh, just finding that balance of how much do I need to do and then how much time do I just need to be with you to just let you find that comfort, find that relaxation, those kinds of things. So I think that, and that can be a bigger life lesson, of course, you know. So my ambition, my impulsion is always one of those things that uh, probably can get in my way. Um, Right. But uh, finding certain horses where you just have to wait a little bit longer and that sort of thing. And, and now some of the best compliments I can get is that, oh, you're so patient. But it's actually not, again, it's not a Nate thing. It's something that I've had to learn by right. hitting my head on the wall so many times, <laughs> learning, you know, it's, it's getting worse. I'm actually having to put more hours in, <clears throat> excuse me, because I'm having to, I'm doing more than I need to, you know. Right. And so yeah. the it's kind of taking me on a fun other journey that that's probably my biggest passion out along with being good because I realize that being good with anything is being efficient. Mm-hmm. So if I had to say my biggest competition now, or the thing that I strive for now is how efficient can I be with horses? Interesting. So I, whether it's a, a horse that comes in for development or, you know, the next horse that I have or anything like that, how can I get the most out of it for the least amount of time? in it. So then I have to kind of, I, it causes me to have a better plan because mm-hmm. I can't just go out there and start messing around doing the same thing I've always done with that horse because then I'm wasting time. Right. right. You know, how much time do I need to just be with this horse here? How much time, you know, like how can I, so at the end of, oh, you know, 30 hours or 50 hours, have I gotten that horse to be the most confident, the furthest along that I can get them in that period of time mm-hmm. there? So that's kind of my newest puzzle is is being efficient, you know, because I think that's the next level of good for me anyway. Right. And that's an interesting word because, um, I mean, one of the things I've struggled with is slowing down and not letting the, the goal get in, in front of the relationship. And, um, and when I think of efficient, I think of speed, right. Which is what you're saying, but, but because of what you have learned, um, sometimes the fastest path to something is to slow way down, yeah. right. And spend more time being as you, as you said. So it's, that's, that's really interesting. Um, so have you come across a horse where you just knew that I need to spend however much time, like an hour, whatever I need to put as much time as it takes into just being with this horse until something unlocks. And I can, I can move forward or do you, do you, do you find, is that still a challenge um, to spend that time just being with them? Thinking about being uh, efficient? Not as much anymore. Okay. You know, like, uh, you know, in the beginning, gosh, if I was getting so impulsive and I always had to be doing something, you know, I might get my phone out or check on my phone or something, you know, like, all right, I'm going to give you your time. Fine. I'll give you your time, but I'm still going to get over here. And I realize that that's still not helping because, well, you know, I can't uh, disconnect from a horse if I'm asking them to connect with me so much. Oh, boy. Keeping that connection with that horse, but finding all the little things fascinating, you know, the, you know, if they eat grass, what's the pace that they eat grass at? You know, what is their eye doing? All that body language stuff of reading the horse that, that we've learned, you know, just getting fascinated about that and really emerging myself in with that horse. Um, that way I'm still doing, and I can do stuff at a rather fast pace in my mind. You know, like, why did you swish your tail there? What, why did you choose to eat that grass? What, 
what you what you know if your ears flick one way why did it flick oh that bird flew away did you you flicked an ear on it you know so it can still keep this very fast pace which is usually where my mind works mm-hmm. but i guess the outside picture would be like well john's just standing with a horse out there right but in the in the interim i can learn a lot about that horse and hopefully build more and understand him or or her more as we're just hanging out there doing those things you know so it's yeah. not as I guess just more redirecting my energy and not necessarily trying to shut it down, but in a positive way that can still um, fit my game, you know? Right. And still teach you about that horse. You're, you know, you're observing them, seeing their reactions. Um, I think that's so interesting that you mentioned that about the phone, because for quite a while, I, I've done that as well. I've been like, okay, I need to spend some time just hanging out, so I'm going to spend 10 minutes checking my email and, you know, while my horse gets to eat grass. And just recently, a few months ago, I've got a fairly challenging horse for me. And um, I had taken him uh, to a place to get some uh, support. And he was in a stall with a run and he was having trouble. He couldn't, um, he wasn't near any other horses. And so I decided to hang out there with him. And I was, I was looking at my phone and then I thought, you know what? I thought that same thing that you just shared that how can I expect him to be connected if I'm looking at my phone? And so I put the phone away and I just, I don't know, I was more present and I was observing him and he totally changed and it blew me away that it Uh, could, that it could be that powerful, but it's similar to when you're sitting with someone, you know, when you're sharing space or time with someone and they're on their phone, there's a there's, you can feel that disconnect Sure. versus you don't have to be talking to somebody, but if you're both sitting there looking around, there's a connection there. So that's a new realization for me. So I think it's really cool that you mentioned that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if uh, I'll share a little bit with you on where that, where I got that idea, mm-hmm. I had actually done some uh, clinics way back when, because before I got in involved with Pat, actually the first kind of cowboy horseman in fits under the natural horsemanship category was Martin Black. Mm-hmm. And I had actually done a cult start with him. And that was back kind of real still in my ignorant days. And mm-hmm. you know, he knew that I was, I didn't know much because I was doing a cult start with him. And this was not a class. This was a job for him. Mm-hmm. And we were supposed to be his assistants in there. Mm-hmm. And he watched me carry a saddle up to a cult that he had, you know, was getting ready to do their first saddling. He was mm-hmm. on horseback. And he had the lead rope of the horse. And, you know, I I walked about six feet and he said, son, you haven't been around colts very much, have you? I said, no. Okay. (laughs) Like he (laughs) he just walked and he already knew that I hadn't done many colt starts. Right. Mm -hmm. And he had talked about, you know, he had, um, of course he, you know, he had uh, married Ray Hunt's daughter. So he's very familiar with Ray Hunt and Mm -hmm. Tom Dorrance and those kinds of things. And he, he had talked about Tom Dorrance, uh, recommending a book for everybody to read called Kinship with All Life. Hmm. And so I remember way back then I wrote that book, I read that book, and it was one of the goofiest books I had ever read. I didn't really understand it. But he uh-huh. also said, you know, Tom was very different because Tom was hard to have just an open conversation with about horses. He was mm-hmm. always very much in the moment. And he would even say, well, did you see there, you know, two flies on the fence post. Why do you think that one flew off first? And why do you think this one's turning around here? And, you know, he was just so in the moment of reading those things that it was tough to ever kind of have a conversation because he was always so present like that. Mm-hmm. And so the, that kind of got me interested of reading the horse of thinking, you know, there, there must've been something that Tom 
had, you know, that's that special thing that Tom, everybody always talks to anybody that, you know, whether it's Pat or anybody that knows Tom, they always said there was something special about him mm-hmm. and kind of what between that book and, and hearing stories like that, you know, that's kind of what got me to be in the moment of thinking about, all right, why did you do this? And why is nature this way? And those kinds of things. So I definitely took that from seeing that story of Martin Black and, and, uh, and Tom and, and uh, applying that to the horse, you know, why, why was that, you know, and yeah. it's almost kind of like a rhetorical question because you may not necessarily know, but I guess just asking the question, why or what if those kinds of things just kind of take you down a different journey. Yeah. That's really cool. Is that the book that uh, a fly is a character? Yeah. That he, yeah. He's got the pet fly. Yeah. Yeah. That I mean, is, it is a wacky one. The whole thing about uh, thoughts and, you know, talking to animals and that yeah. sort of thing, you know, please yeah. go away. Please quit yeah. annoying me, you know, Frankie the fly. So, right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember being fairly perplexed when I read that one too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Now it's time for a short commercial break. I'm excited to share that on November 20th, Shine a Light Productions' next virtual clinic begins. I'll be partnering with Aaron Sauer of Elite Equine Massage LAMP to bring you a four-week learning experience called Winning Your Horse's Heart, Strengthen Your Bond Through Body Work. Aaron has a set of exercises we're calling affections to try with your horse. These affections don't require technical knowledge and are easy to apply and you won't need to worry about getting them wrong. It'll be a fun way to spend time with your horse learning to do things they love. Learn more at shinealightproductions.net. And now let's get back to the interview. So you and Kathy and Luke are, um, you've got the Raising Bar Horsemanship Center. Yes. And, um, and you guys, you know, pretty much that's your work. You've got horses there in training. You're, you know, doing this as a family, you're traveling, um, and teaching clinics too. Um, and what, what is, um, I mean, I think everybody looks at that and thinks, oh, that's so wonderful, um, that you guys are all doing it as a family. Um, what do you, what do you love about it? And then what's, what's challenging about it? Uh, Gosh, what do we love? What don't I love about it? Uh, you know, it, it's kind of a, a semi dream coming true. You know, I mean, it's something that we've we've dreamed about, talked about and loved to do. And, you know, when I look back on the journey of getting to the place that we're at now, I don't know how we did it. Yeah. Um, but we're doing it, you know, and it's nothing big or fancy, but it's uh, it's us and it's it's uh, it's very much us and what we do. You know, so large part of uh, because horsemanship is such an obsession for both of us, Kathy and I, mm-hmm. that uh, it's got everything involved in horsemanship, you know, horse development, teaching, we're on the road back and forth. And, and so it, it stays fairly busy um, as a whole. Uh, but uh, for Kathy and I, you know, I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to marry a woman that is obsessed as I am mm-hmm. <laughs> about mm-hmm. it, because that's most of our lives. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's most conversations, most things we relate back to it somehow to how to relate that back to horses or teaching. Right. So, right. Uh, that's probably all the, the great aspects of it. You know, I mean, you can just lose yourself the, in the midst of it, you know, mm-hmm. the challenges of course are all the challenges that can come with owning your own place, you know, right. the, the maintenance and the upkeep and those kinds of things, you know, and us not having a, a huge 
financial background, you know, that could support all that just to go and have that done. Right. And it's probably a little bit intimidating, uh, especially for where we're at, because just uh, three driveways down from us, you know, is uh, tailor-made thoroughbred farms. Oh, wow. And they're probably the largest thoroughbred farm in Lexington. You know, in fact, the horse, you could see the barn where California Chrome lived for a while, which, you know, he was America's richest horse. You know, I mean, he had earned more money than any other horse. You know I mean? So they have an unbelievable, almost seems like a uh, endless pocketbook to have the fanciest of barns, stalls, you know, flowers, you know, just guys that do nothing but, you know, decorate around the barns and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing, you know? So, I mean, as you go by and there's just hundreds of those types of barns up around this area. Mm -hmm. So when you see those kind of just very fancy, you know, paved driveways and flowers everywhere and just the, you know, no dust or dirt everywhere, you know, it's, uh, can get a bit intimidating that way, but, um, uh, the upkeep of that, I guess the, the other part is to make sure that, um, making sure that we keep enough family time, you know, Mm -hmm. so we literally schedule in, um, you know, family days, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's just to go and get away. Uh, just the other, you know, yesterday we went up to and watched a baseball game, you know, a Cincinnati Reds game, took Luke to his first baseball game, just something that's other than horses or whatnot, you know, but making sure that we make that time for us and that sort of thing, you know, um, probably the biggest challenge, you know, because it's easy for us just to keep going on and on and on. And, and go. Yeah, it's never it's never finished. That's uh, right. Especially the work around the place. Yeah. And I think <laughs> I think it's uh, you know, it's easy to see places like that and think, oh, if we had, you know, if we had a ton of people that could could plant everything and mow everything and take care of everything. And but I I hope that there are people at those places that love being there. Like sometimes you, you get around places like that and it's, no one's really enjoying it. It's like they're, they're putting it on for somebody else. And you know, the, the magic about your guys's place is there's love in it. You know, I haven't even been there, but just watching the videos and, you know, seeing it develop, it's like, and you even said it's us, you know, it's, and I just, I just think that's so great. And you guys are enjoying it. And for the most part, right. Uh, and trying to make it as enjoyable for all the horses that come here too. Yeah. And that's been something else that uh, we have gotten feedback on. That's really nice because we've had horses where they, people have been to barns where everything's very loud because horses are just hollering and hauling. you know, there's just a ton of noise from the horses there. And most of the time, like it, even those horses that come that first are hollering, you know, and calling out and all those usually within a day, it's back to just peace. Cause then, you know, we can have, Usually we keep, you know, a dozen or so training horses in and we usually have about a dozen or so of our own and, you know, our long-term student horses. So, you know, there's 20, 30 horses on our place, but you wouldn't know it for one or two because you can, there's just always this nice, peaceful, quiet munching of hay sound and that sort of thing. So that, I like that energy that our barn can build and that it's becoming the energy around the horses that it's just chill out. Yep. And, you know, we try and keep it controlled chaos as part mm-hmm. of our training pr- mm-hmm. program for our horses is that there's always things moving and coming around. So you're going to mm-hmm. have to get used to it as a horse right. coming and going that you you don't have one stall. You don't have one paddock. So when horses come here for development 24 seven, you're going to learn uh, like us. So it's not just go to your stall, come out, do your session and go back into that stall, which mm-hmm. is what I think creates a lot of those kind of displaced behaviors anyway, in a horse world. So 
Interesting. coming here and going on ties and then going into this paddock and then coming over here and going back into that stall. It just starts to create this, huh, I guess I'm just going over here for a while kind of right. mentality. I really enjoy that about our place that it can just nice and be nice and quiet for, for horses and humans, you know? Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's really cool. Um, so with the horses that you have in development, um, is there one or maybe more, but, uh, can you think of one that kind of sticks out as it was particularly challenging and what, what was the challenge and how did you go about helping the horse through it? Yeah. Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, for some of the horses we've gotten in, uh, it's kind of been like, uh, last chance saloon almost, you know, like right. it, it's uh we don't know where else they're going. They're being kicked out of this barn or we've gotten kicked out of that barn and we don't know where else to take them, you know? So can we, can you help us kind of a thing, you know, whether they're natural horsemanship Pirelli or not, we've gotten mm-hmm. a lot of people that have just uh, luckily for us heard about us through the wind somehow. Mm-hmm. And so the, we did have a horse that came in that, uh, was probably the most unique horse I had seen. He had been kicked out of a couple of different barns. He was fairly aggressive uh, and had biting grooms. And uh, the last straw was that he kicked a vet and broke her uh, her arm. So oh boy. that was kind of the, can you take him kind of a thing. And he mm-hmm. was meant to be, a, he was bred to be a Grand Prix jumper. And so uh, his dad, it was, it was an interesting mix of a lot of things that weren't in his, um, realm that he his dad was a cloned horse mm-hmm. and then uh his the mare had complications in having birth so then she had she had died so then he was an orphaned horse oh wow and he <clears> was <throat> just probably the most unnatural and then he was always kept in a in a stall and in you know kind of not done anything with but except for taking kind of from paddock to stall kind of a thing and mm-hmm. so he was very unnatural as a horse just didn't know how to be a horse and he was mm-hmm. a big gray thing and um so he was aggressive and and by he, but he was never a mean horse. That's the thing. He was a very gentle natured horse, but mm-hmm. yeah, he'd bite you, but it was more kind of like a big oof uh-huh. kind of a, a play. And so he was a bit of a challenge as he's coming in because it, it um, like, uh, I remember one time I had him out in the pasture and I had, I was dumping the manure spreader out there. Mm-hmm. So tractor and manure spreader, which can cause a rather large ruckus. Mm-hmm. He came cantering from the other side of the pasture and came up and was biting and charging at my tractor. Like actually scratches on my tractor hood when we're like his teeth came down on the hood. As the manure spread is going and all this chaos. I mean, so he wasn't, he just didn't have very much natural prey animal in him. Right. Uh, He was very much just kind of like a big dog, you know, in in that fact. So he was a bit of a challenge of re-naturalizing him, Mm -hmm. but yet still trying to make him safe enough. And because I knew he was going to go back to a show world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had high hopes for him to make him a Grand Prix jumper. So hmm. uh to to see if if I could renaturalize him enough to be a horse, but yet still be good enough to go back into that type of environment, be obedient enough to for anybody to kind of handle and that sort of thing. So he was a bit of a challenge for us, but uh, yeah, it sounds good like experience, it. good experience for me. I enjoyed it. So what what was the important piece in the renaturalizing process? And what what is that for people that aren't that don't know? Like what what is that? Uh for us we get we can get a, a fair amount of horses in that just have never gotten a chance to be a horse. Okay. So because of value or sport, um, they pretty much, you know, people are trying to do the best that they can, you know, which mm-hmm. is protect them and usually is 
being human and, and people and v- protecting our value and that sort of thing, it's usually more isolation and a lot of control, you mm-hmm. know, trying to control situation, control them, isolate them so that you're trying to prevent a lot of accidents from ever happening. Mm-hmm. But just kind of like kids and horses, the more you do that, it almost, it gets everything a bit worse, you know, because mm-hmm. they don't learn very much how to have self-preservation. Right. You know? So, um, in having horses that are been isolated to stalls and those kinds of things, getting them back where they can be turned out with other horses, mm-hmm. uh, turned back out and just to pastures, those sorts of things. Right. Um, where that's okay, where you can feel like they're not going to terror, you know, go running on a terror through the pasture and go through a fence or get themselves really hurt or strain or pull something, you know? So little by little, how can you take where the horse is at and go, okay, my whole goal is, can you just eat grass out in the pasture? Right. You know, both, uh, even, um, uh, dietary, you know, mm-hmm. um, how can I slowly get you back there? Well, how many steps is it going to take so that I can trust you that mentally, emotionally, and physically, you're going to be okay out there and just implementing that in slowly, but surely mm-hmm. other with other horses, you know, so that you can be in with, you know, uh, horses that are maybe a little bit more dominant or more submissive and you fit right in, you, you know how to socialize with other horses. You can read their body language, you know, cause it's, it right. sounds funny, but, oh, we had one horse that came in that uh, was from the Northeast where, uh, you know, they had a lot of sand up there where it was never grass. So the mm-hmm. horse really did not know how to graze. Oh, wow. You know, it always had been fed in hay bags. So I had noticed like we had turned him out and worked our time, but he was never grazing. I thought, oh, he's just not comfortable yet. And mm-hmm. kind of watching him. And yet, and then I put a hay bag out, like a hay net hanging. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, he took after it. Like, thank you. I was mm-hmm. so hungry. You know, like, mm-hmm. why are you starving me? Why could you have all this grass? It actually right. took him a while to learn to actually graze, put his head down and graze. Cause it's just something that I imagine he's never really done, you know? That's so true. going back to just, if it's first renaturalizing them just to, again, kind of be a horse in a natural environment in a field, you know, manage you sure you can go for a run in the pasture, but can you manage your emotions where physically you're not going to get hurt mentally? You're not distraught, you know, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then starting to renaturalize now of, of um, with horses and humans, you know, cause I think, I think in the horse and human journey, I think that we're not trying to make horses think like people, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not about getting the horse on, prey animal or unhorse like you know mm-hmm. i think it's us working with that nature that's that's important so i think that's why it's important for a horse just to learn how to be a horse first because right. everything that i think that we do with a horse is is based off of that of you being a good balanced horse first mm-hmm. now how can we interact with that and come together as a partnership right so, um versus trying to get a horse less away from being like a horse so much kind of thing you know right and with that horse that you mentioned that uh, the, the jumper that was orphaned, like, did you, did you need to uh, turn him out by himself first and have the other horses in neighboring pastures or did you turn him out with one or how did, how does that work? Uh, we did, you know, and I have a couple really easy going horse. Like I have a, a pair of mules mm-hmm. and they're really good buddies. You know, they'll kind of, they're not really one to be picked on but they're also not one to really pick on another horse. So they can be good buddy horses to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll usually start with them and just kind of see how do they start to react with the mules, you know, and if they're really, the mules will chase you off or whatnot. If you're really rude, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, in a horse world, you mm-hmm. know, so they will move them off or bite another horse, but I would imagine it have to be pretty rude for them to do that. Uh-huh. Um, 
So usually I'll start them off with mules like that and just kind of really easy going horses in a little bit bigger area mm -hmm. and then slowly integrate other horses in so that if I know that, you know, there's going to be two, if I feel like that horse is pretty dominant and I know another horse is, how are they going to react? You know, uh, sometimes I'll play with those horses together, you oh, know, okay. in a round pen or something so that they both have to kind of focus on something I'm asking them to do instead of getting in trouble, you know, maybe like two teenage boys, you know, that right. have a job instead of just going out with each other kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then usually after, if you can have a few sessions and they can learn how to move around with each other, uh, that starts to help to build more and more. And same, same with mares that get really um, cranky with other horses, you know, want to kick and that sort of thing. I'll usually have a lot of sessions, Liberty sessions with other horses in there and the more that they're worried about the other horses, the more I'll have them do. Right. And then, you know, that just kind of starts helping them get used to it's, it's part of a cult starting that we have anyway in here mm -hmm. that, you know, they just get horses, you know, used to bumping around and, you know, carrying saddles in and, oh, you know, bumped into your bum and, oh, you got to run up on another horse and, oh, I wouldn't go that far. And, you right. know, and, you know, of course I'll doing it with horses health in mind because, you know, mm -hmm. we don't want horses to get hurt, but, Right. Slowly but surely integrating that to uh, for horses to learn where's everybody's personal bubble and that sort of thing can uh, can help out. Right. And you're like you already said, you're giving them something else to focus on. They don't have time to think about kicking each other or doing those kinds of things. You've given them like you've got to go forward and find yeah. harmony together. And um, yeah. that's that's really cool. So I'm curious how that gray horse did with the mules. Did was it no big deal? Or he wasn't, he was actually pretty good with horses. He, uh, he just never, he was not real high on the, the pecking order, but the thing that he had challenges with, if, if I put him in a smaller paddock, as horses would start to pin their ears at him saying, Hey, move away. Mm -hmm. He would go to the worst spot instead of the best spot. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, like if there was a clear open door, like, Hey, as a horse, you'd want to go over here. Right. He would go over here and put himself in a worse predicament, you know, than whatnot. So his, his decisions weren't always the best, you know, so right. that's probably what he had to work on the most was going, oh, this probably wasn't a good idea to put myself in a smaller area or smaller right. predicament than the, yeah. than the bigger one. But uh, yeah. he did good. And, you know, um, he went off to have a, a jumping career. They sent me a video of uh, him at a jumping barn at his first show a while back. So he did get all the way up to uh, going to a show, you know. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, so how, how do people learn with you? Like, can they, can they come there? How, if they want to, if they want to come and learn more, how, how do they go about that? Any way possible. Okay. Uh, you know, we, we still travel around. We're always interested in going to new areas, meeting new people, um, learning, you know, as much as they can here. Yes. Uh, we run, uh, usually about a clinic, a month here and we run two camps, you know, five day camps or, or what we refer to one in the spring and one in the fall um, here at our facility. And uh, yeah, so we have people come from, you know, it's funny because probably most of the people still travel from out of the state of Kentucky mm -hmm. development and students more than we probably have in the state of Kentucky. Interesting. So this yeah. is the first year that we're actually finally starting to, I guess, uh, bring more local people in and, and starting to get known around the Lexington area more right outside. Cause we have done so much traveling all those years outside of Kentucky that we know more people outside. So right. we'll get people that come from, you know, we've had people have come from California and stuff like that, you know, take a bit of a bucket list kind of a, a trip and go, I've always wanted to travel with horses and 
great, we're going to come out for your camp and, you know, take three, four days, whatever, right. to to come out to Kentucky and get to see the area. You know, Lexington is, it's, uh, it's why I moved here. It's probably one of the most unique towns that I've ever been in. Mm-hmm. Um, very horse related and of course more thoroughbred and racing, of course. Right. But uh, as that, uh, not necessarily dies down, but finds a bit of a balance. You find more English, you know, a lot of English rider jump, big jumping barns, mm-hmm. um, big dressage barns that are moving into the area, but it's such a unique area uh, just overall in the history behind it and stuff that I really like Lexington. There's so many cool things with the horse park and that's kind of how we found our places that when we were looking up in this area, you know, uh, we basically drew a circle around an hour of the horse park mm-hmm. Okay, if you know if the property's outside that hour of to the horse park, we don't want to look at it. Uh-huh. If it's in that hour to the horse park, we'll look at it and see what we can get and that sort of thing. So to me, that's, that's one of awesome. the coolest places around, some of the biggest events and that sort of thing. So I, uh, that's I enjoy that's really bit. cool. So people can really like if they come to you, it can turn into a whole horse vacation. They can go and tour Absolutely. some places, and yeah, that's cool. You can see some really top thoroughbred farms and. A lot of history in that area and uh keeneland racetrack is probably one of the prettiest tracks uh for a racetrack and it's it's not where the kentucky derby is ran that's in churchill downs in louisville mm-hmm. but keeneland's usually where they film all the movies so if you've oh, seen any of the movies like secretariat or any of those most of the mm-hmm. filming is done at keeneland because it's so much prettier oh wow <laughs> and they, even they'll do it for different races there but it's uh it, it's it's a very pretty area that's cool yeah, you guys have have landed in a special spot. So it is very cool. So um, I heard that there might be somebody else there that would be willing to come and chat with us a little. Hey, that'd be pretty cool. Hey, Luke, yeah. you want to come chat with us? Special guest. There he is. Hi, Luke. Hello. How are you doing? Pretty good. Good. So uh, quite a few people are getting to know you through the videos that you and your mom and dad put out. Um, But I have a couple questions for you. Um, First of all, how old are you? I'm eight years old, just about to turn nine on August 19th. Wow. So coming up on nine, very close on to nine. Um, And you've basically been around horses your whole life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you are, um, you've started this program called Luke's Littles. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What, what is that? Well, Luke's Littles is kind of to help the person and the horse. Okay. It's kind of to, um, help the horse and the person in the aspect of, um, them not having to fight or stuff like that and kind of just get along smoothly. That's, that's great. And that's an easy thing to say, but not so easy to do, huh? No. (laughs) (laughs) We had um, one or two really tough minis. Yeah. Yeah. And the chocolate chip. Chocolate chip. So the littles part, tell us about that for people that don't know anything about what you're doing. What's the, what is, what does the littles part mean? Well, the littles is for like the little minis since they're little, littler than what my dad does. It's like kind of my business, but more with littler horses. Yeah. That's great. So you're bringing in minis and like ponies. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. 
Um, so I followed a little bit about uh, your journey with Fajita, who, uh, yeah. yeah, was is a pony that you brought in. Um, yeah. What's something that you feel like you were able to teach Fajita? Probably how um, that he kind of needs to try to turn loose to our idea for us to like give him a break or stuff like that. Great. Because he was. He's challenging. He, you know, uh, even for got old dad head scratching here, uh -huh. he's probably one of the high, most high spirited horses in general that I've, I've come across. Wow. So, uh, so Luke yeah. came across a, a real challenge horse. <laughs> and how did how did you find him? How did he come to you? Uh, actually, um, through Tick Maynard, who oh, okay. was uh, an inventor and whatnot. Kathy was doing some doing a bit of a clinic and some lessons down at his place, mm -hmm. and um, he had come across a horse that he was looking for another buddy horse and possibly a horse for for their uh, two year old son. Okay, and. Um, they had, uh, someone had found this horse at an auction or whatnot and uh, uh, brought him to him. And then yeah. he had had him for, I guess, maybe about a year, but wasn't having much success with him, no. not doing much with him. So they thought, he thought Luke could uh, start to put on him. And uh, yeah, he's been a good, good challenge for Luke. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really cool. And is he, is he still at your place? He is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Very cool. And um, what's something that you've learned from him, Luke? Probably how um, difficult horses can be and to just keep trying until, like, it takes a little bit for me to think and say, what am I doing? I need to um, think about how to do this horse because he's definitely, definitely the difficultest horse I've had. Right, right. And it's nice, I'm sure that when you are like, you might do a session with them, and then you're thinking, oh, something different needs to happen. I need to do something different. Yeah. Is it nice to be able to chat with your mom and dad and yeah. share the Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really cool. So do you think will he be there for a while longer? Like, what's your goal? What, what are you hoping to have? My goal is to get him to be a good riding pony. Right. And a kind of an okay driver okay and just a good horse to like be around groom on love hang out yeah catch. that sounds great catch. <laughs> yeah that's been challenging too huh yeah yeah he, he was definitely a, a horse that was very hard to catch um you could feed him like for the last year they had been giving him a lot of treats yeah so he was good at giving treats but not so much about putting the halter on and being caught so being turned out so some of the videos that you've seen where luke's um been able to go out into open areas and catch them there's still a, a like it would take a challenge for me to make sure that i could go out there and challenge in fact i probably don't have enough of a relationship that uh there has been times where i can't walk out to a pasture and catch them oh that's so like, interesting you're not catching me game so right for luke and and those to have a relationship with them enough where there is enough trust to get him to turn loose to catch. It's still not the easiest catch, but mm -hmm. for him to do it, that's it's definitely not there yet. And that's what makes him so tough is that he hasn't turned loose our idea yet of eh, humans are worth worth being around. And then it's a very right. left brain type of behavior from a fear point of view. You know, like he's scared, like he's nervous. Mm -hmm. He's not sure about humans, but he's made the decision to do it. It's not that he gets himself scared. 
and then goes, right. Oh, I can't do this. It's a, before I even get myself in that spot, mm-hmm. what do I need to do? You know, pretty good self preservation anyway. Right. Right. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds like a challenge. And it's interesting too, that like Luke, you've been able to build enough trust with him that you're able to go out and catch him. It like your dad's saying, it still can be challenging, right? It's, but you can, it's really hard. We've had moments where he like runs away and mm-hmm. moments like that, but eventually you've gone to where we can catch him. Right. Right. And the, one of the things that I think is so challenging about doing what you're doing is you can get a horse to trust you, get really good around you, but then you've got to think about, okay, well, how can I set it up where someone else can come in and yeah. have this kind of success? So that brings that, a whole other challenge. And that's kind of been working with my parents. Like I do one day of catching and then like somebody else comes in and does one day of catching and one that's day great. of do you remember that you want to tell Molly about that day that we had the clinic here and we had everybody in the clinic come up and pet on them? Remember that you uh, held them? Yeah. So um, what also helped is we had this one five day clinic mm-hmm. and then um, I would get fajita out then like every day or only one day? Every day. Every day we would have the students at the end come up and all pet on him one at a time. Oh, that's great. So you were utilizing, you guys were had this clinic going, and you thought, oh, this will be a great experience yeah. for him to have. That's really, that's really great. Yeah. Very uh, cool. What was even more fascinating is as Luke was holding Fajita and each person would just kind of approach just, you know, we kind of gave him no setup just to see if he can go up there and rub on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of the people, there was a couple where he really, um, you know, did not like their energy for whatever reason, you know, pulled mm-hmm. away almost. And then there was two people where he actually walked forward and uh let them rub on him interesting whatever whatever he feels it was very interesting to see the difference in some people like for the most part he was hesitant just like he is with us Mm -hmm. there was a person or two that he i think was the approach approach, yeah there was a person or two that he was actually interested in and would rub on and uh a couple that um he didn't want to to touch him at all so interesting and can you remember what it was about the, the, that person's approach. Like what did they do differently? Uh, nothing that we could really see. in Okay. Hmm. Very interesting. And, and it wasn't just a, a soft person versus a, a, you know, like a carrot stick kind of person, you know, like right. it wasn't even that sort of a thing. Uh, it was even a few of the, as you know, if we go by that analogy, a stick person being really blunt, a carrot person being really soft, uh, the one person that he, um, he had a hard time with was very much a very soft person type of person. And then mm-hmm. the other, you know, then there was another person that was very quiet and introverted as well that he actually stepped into as well. So that's it, super. I could not pick out a difference even in the person. Right. Going, oh, well, it's clearly this type of personality yeah. or, mm-hmm. you know, experience or anything like that. So hmm. it's, uh, it's a bit of fascinating what, what he saw or what he felt. Yeah. That's really fascinating. Um, so Luke, would you have any advice for people out there that are wanting to improve their horsemanship? What What would you say to them? Well, it was really tough for me with Luke's Littles, and if they kind of follow the Pirelli program, I think it'll help them a lot. That's great. And if they have a tough horse to kind of follow it, um, the Pirelli program like my dad, I think mm-hmm. it'll help them out in being with the horse and riding and online and stuff like that. That's great. So having, having a great program, finding a great program and the Pirelli programs, 
one of the best out there. Yeah. And uh, and then finding maybe some support from people like you and your dad yeah. and your mom. Yeah. That's and, awesome. And Molly, be very familiar with the horse that I had at the center most of the time while you were there was Chica. Mm-hmm. Now Chica is 100% Luke's. Oh, wow. That is, that is his saddle horse now. Oh, and that's great. Well, I never would have guessed it. Chica had her own challenges throughout the time. I never really viewed her as that, but you know, I never really thought that she'd be a good kid's horse. Um, and I don't know that she's a good kid's horse, but she's Luke's horse. And it's, uh, she's definitely got either that mother instinct in her or something, but you know, it's gotten to where now I can trust them to saddle up. And if we go and get cows that Luke can go and canter out of sight from me down in the pasture and bring up cows and I know that those pair are going to do really well and, and get like along. So they take care of each other, I think, really well. So that's really great. How exciting. That's really so cool. It's interesting to see how horses can change over the years and development yeah. as well, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Well, thanks you guys for taking a little time out of your day to spend with us. And absolutely. Uh, My pleasure. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we much. look forward to seeing what happens next with Luke's Littles. And, yeah. uh, and I'll make sure to put your website in the, in the show notes for people oh, to be you. able to reach out to you guys too. So absolutely. Thank you. Go through life with ears forward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. What a treat it was to catch up with John and to visit with Luke. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. It reminds me of how important hearing other people's stories is. We can learn so much about ourselves in the process of listening. Thank you for joining in on this episode, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.